Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs and freelancers to reveal their unexpected paths to making a living. Today, my guest is Brent Rose. Brent is a freelance journalist, a filmmaker, a storyteller, and the host of a couple of my favorite web series. In this episode, we dive into his journey from actor to journalist and how he's successfully married the two um, passions in his life, writing and acting, and he's created a persona and a character and style that really stands out. And along the way, we also dive into van life a little bit, which he's been out on the road in a van, living as a journalist, working as a journalist, and just out in the world living and going on these adventures for five years now. It's almost five and a half years. I think this is really going to inspire you to consider how you can take the various aspects of you and make them into something great on your with your next big idea. So without further ado, my conversation with Brent Rose. I was going to say because you were going to back out of van, not back out, but after five years of van life, you were actually going to uh, get an apartment earlier this year, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, apartment hunting in um, uh, beginning of this year and was supposed to move in mid-March actually I'd put down a deposit and everything. And, you know, I actually, I was feeling a little bit weird about it in some ways. And part of it is just, you know, it's a big transition, obviously, but, um, but, uh, but there was part of me, I think that felt like it wasn't quite the right ending for, for this chapter or whatever in my life. And I, uh, so in some ways it felt good that it, it didn't go down quite like that, but in other ways it was just, you know, total chaos and fear and paranoia and all that stuff with, uh, with COVID and then with, uh, just everything that was happening with this tumultuous year in our country. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was the original impetus for, um, going back to the apartment life? Yeah. You know, I just kind of was feeling like it's, it's time. Um, I just kind of wanted a little bit more space to, to spread out and stretch and, um, and, you know, I've been experimenting with being uh, completely untethered for so long. I mean, it was supposed to be a one-year experiment. Now it's been, you know, more than half a decade. And um, and I I felt like I've gotten so much from it, but I also felt like I uh, I was maybe ready to, uh, to see what putting down roots feels like again and mm-hmm. what happens when I, when I try to incorporate a little bit more stability into my life for the first time in a very long time. So that's that's kind of the impetus yeah and when that was originally a one-year project was that like essentially for a story that you were going to write or was it something that you really saw diving into yeah so i mean a bit of both uh so the original impetus was just because um i mean i i'd just gone through it's very cliche but i'd just gone through a big breakup and uh i was kind of looking to see um you know, I, I did it in a very stable situation for such a long time. And I kind of wanted to see what the opposite of that felt like. So I could see where on the spectrum between stability and chaos felt like the right balance for me. So, um, 
So that was kind of the original impetus. And then I was like, oh, you know, if I can sell a series of stories on this, then maybe I can get somebody else to pay for some of it <laughs> was the was the original impetus. And I actually did. We, we almost sold this huge um, like it was almost going to be like a sponsored thing, but with uh, us maintaining editorial control that we were going to do for uh, Gizmodo. And uh, we had this uh, this buyer all lined up for it and they they bailed at the last minute unfortunately so at that point i was like all right you know what i'm just gonna i'll do it on a shoestring i'm gonna do it my own way at least that way i won't be beholden to anybody else anyway and um yeah so i still started writing it out for gizmodo and then when they um were sued out of existence by hulk hogan slash billionaire peter thiel i forgot um, about that (laughs) yeah yeah that was what a fiasco uh, for free press everywhere, really, but uh, especially for my friends at Docker and Gizmodo. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so then they, they lost a lot of their freelance budget. So I was uh, doing less work for them after that. And uh, we had to cut the whole, this the series, which we'd called Connected States. That was the original name of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that was essentially you were trying to showcase how we're all interconnected. I mean, despite being in different states, right? Right. Yeah. So that was, that was sort of, there were, there were a bunch of plays on words there. So part of it was about showing the ways we're interconnected and showing that we have more in common than we have different because we was, you know, this was, this was a year before the 2016 presidential election, a little more. And it was already like clear that the the U S was extremely divided. Um, the two, their two main parties were diverging more and more. And I kept thinking like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be more commonalities and differences that we're just not hearing about. Uh, wow. My lighting is like kind of crazy dramatic. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> it's, I all realize it's like very noir. I should be in black and white. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was kind of one of the original things. And then there was also just the whole, um, how can you stay connected when you're on, when you don't have any wires, when you don't, you're not plugged into the grid and stuff like that. So it was a challenge from a technological standpoint, as far as um, making sure I had enough power to run all my gadgets, um, making sure I had enough internet connections so I could keep working along the way and uh, all the various sort of tips and tricks that go into uh, stuff like that. Yeah. And you mentioned well, actually, before we dive into um, the story of the past and how you got here, how do you describe what you do today? Because you do a lot. I mean, you're a journalist, you're a host of these series, you're an actor. There's there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I am bad at describing what I do, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and that's that's probably something that hurts me career-wise because it doesn't, I don't know, it looks dumb on a business card to say like all these like slashes. <laughs> But I mean, that, that is what I do. I do a lot of different things. You know, I, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm a journalist. Um, I host a lot of videos as well for, uh, for Wired and Gizmodo and places like that. Um, I do, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't acted in a long time, but that's what I went to grad school for. And I still think about it a lot and miss it a lot. Um, it's just been, I haven't been able to audition for anything in, you know, six plus years because I haven't mm-hmm. been in one place for more than a month or two at a time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I miss creative writing too, screenwriting and all that stuff. And, uh, photography is kind of a new thing as well. So I, yeah, I'm all over the place. It's, it's weird, but I, you know, I have pretty wide interests. So, yeah. And I think that's important. I mean, that's, I think that's how you got to where you are today because of these experiments. So to rewind a little bit, 
I mean, over a decade ago, you were doing, um, you were sort of knee deep in acting. You were writing a little bit for PC World, if I understand correctly. And you were doing mm-hmm. a bunch of different experiments. You had the Leaf Garrison project. You had 50 and 50. Wow. Um, so, oh, man, you did your homework. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be sure <laughs> right. to sort of look at your journey and Nicely see where done. you come Those from. Those are some deep cuts. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the 50 and 50 project, you would talk a little more about um, sort of the the trials and tribulations you were facing at that time because you did have to pay the right. bills. You were using using the project, I think, to to sort of build your reel, get people sort of to know who you are. But what did you envision right. at that time? And what were some of the um some of the stumbling blocks that you faced back then? Yeah, fifty and fifty um man, I have such a it's such bittersweet memories of that project. Um so yeah, exactly like you say, you know, I was trying to build my reel and I was trying to um, establish um, more character work and stuff like that. I think at the time, my my dream was to be on SNL as a cast member and I was writing a lot of sketch comedy and I was doing a lot of improv at the time. And I kind of intended it as a, as a, a flex, sort of be like, look, I could come up with a totally different character and write a short film and make a short film for, for a character every week. Um, so that was the idea. Um, and at the time, you know, I was living in New York and I was auditioning and stuff like that. And for work, I was just temping, you know, just temping at these like horrible, horrible office jobs. Um, you know, a lot of banks and law firms and stuff like that. Um, and uh, it was really soul sucking, but um, I was like, whatever, I can do both. But um, it turned out that doing both was really hard because I, I have trouble um just kind of like doing like a quick little uh here let me just throw together a video and put it out there i end up getting very ocd when it comes to my my editing process especially the writing and other stuff as well but i would really go wild on the edits and you know obsess over one or two little frames out of cuts and stuff like that um which i think ultimately you know it was a really good experience for me because it really taught me how to edit i was really kind of learning on the fly um and taught me a lot about storytelling, but the problem was I was spending, you know, easily 30 hours a week on it. In addition to, you know, the 40 hours a week I was working at whatever shit job I was working. And, you know, plus like whenever I could audition, I was auditioning for stuff and it really became uh, overwhelming. So eventually I was like taking on less work because I felt like I had to finish this project. And, um, and I was just kind of like running on reserves and running on reserves. And finally I kind of got to this point where I, I basically just ran out of money. Like I ran out of uh, like savings and even wiggle room in my credit cards. And I was like, okay, I got it. I got to put this on hold until I can, you know, fix my finances. And then I just, you know, went to work and stuff like that. And that's kind of around when I stumbled into journalism completely accidentally. Um, it just started as a very part-time thing. There was like, oh, well, this is you know a nice supplement to temping, and then I realized, I'm like, oh, maybe I could do this instead of tempting temping. And then uh, before I knew it, it just snowballed and became a full-time gig for Gizmodo at the time initially. And um, and I was like, all right, well, I'll do this for like a year, and then I'll just go freelance, and I can you know get back to acting. And I did it for about a year and a half, and then did go freelance, but never. Uh, going freelance initially, like you're just hustling so much, especially when you're, you're new and you're trying to establish your name. So getting back to it was uh, extremely challenging. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then this road trip and yeah, so it's been a while. I miss it a lot. Yeah. So when you were first getting into journalism, then since that was new for you, what, um, did you have inspirations that you put, like, were there journalists that you saw and you were like, oh, I can, this is sort of like me or, um, I'm always curious to see because you have a very distinct style, um, that in terms Mm of being the host, I feel like you, um, you have that sort of journalist adventurer, um, it might be gonzo journalism. Like it's like you (laughs) are the focus of it. And I don't know if that's, if that's a negative, sorry, I don't, I don't know exactly like the terminology on stuff um, when it comes to that. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, you have a specific um, style. So just curious where, where your inspirations pulled from when you were first starting out. Yeah. You know, I mean, so yeah, there's a lot of layers there. So, I mean, part of it was because I was coming from a background of acting and improv. Um, I very much felt like I was faking my way through it, uh, especially at the beginning. Um, and really, even to this day, to some extent. And I think that's how we kind of are with any new job. Like, we're always mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm just going to like, you know, you kind of learn on the fly. Um, and that's really what I was what I was doing there. Um, so there's some of that. And I think part of where my, my style comes from, well, part of it was, you know, I was reading a lot of Gizmodo before I was hired by Gizmodo. And they, especially in those days, had a very snarky kind of tone and i say that with love i I mean like good snark in a way because there was so much uh who was it who wrote this article there was this great piece i think it was gawker did it on snark versus smarm and how like (laughs) snark is needed to like as an antidote to all this like saccharine disgusting smarm and i actually thought that was a pretty great piece so gizmodo was in my opinion um would kind of take the the air out of a lot of things that took themselves very seriously. Um, and so that kind of uh, fostered a real irreverent style, I think, in some ways. And then I also had an editor there named uh, Joe Brown, who then went on to uh, work at Wired again. And then he was the editor-in-chief of Popular Science uh, for a few years and now is at, oh, where is he at? Road and Track, Car and Driver, something like that. Um, He's like overseeing like all of the auto magazines now. He's a, you know, really, really creative guy. But his whole ethos was that people should write. He wanted his writers to to try to find things that they're most interested in. He's like, if, if you want to be outside all the time, which I did, then like write about outdoor gear. If you want to be like, you know, testing, like, you know, you know, finding ways to get outside of the office, then like start testing these action cameras and stuff like that. And that was... Um, and his motivation for that was like, you, you will care more and your work will be better if it's, if it's something that actually interests you and not something you're just, you know, faking your way through. Um, so that was a big motivating factor for me. And then as far as um, hosting stuff, I think it's kind of a combination of all of that because it's, you know, a lot of it is improv, improv um, especially when I'm, you know, uh, talking to people and interviewing people and just kind of seeing what happens when these gadgets break on me or when break me. Um, and then, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, writing the setups and stuff like that, that goes back to like the sketch comedy kind of background and trying to like slip little jokes in there. And then there's the, like, I still have that sort of 
irreverent tone, I think, from those early Gizmodo days where I, I don't take this stuff too, too seriously. I mean, some things I do, certainly. But a lot of stuff like, it's just, it's just a smartphone, man. Like, we, do we care that much? Is it that, is it that important? We're not changing the world here. Um, and I think a lot of uh, tech journalism is just like, you know, they speak in hushed tones about, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and everything so sacrosanct. And I think, um, I think that whole world is ripe for skewering. So, um, so yeah, I guess that's sort of where my style comes from. Also, I don't take myself terribly seriously in, mm-hmm. in many respects. So I think that um, that kind of helps too. Well, yeah, and the humor and everything really comes through because I first found you with the um, magic video. So the the magic service where oh, yeah. you were testing or texting and they would do things. And it was just so mm-hmm. entertaining. And yeah, from that, that was point- the first video I did for Wired, actually. Oh, was that it was, the first one? That was that was the the beta test. We're like, all right, let's let's do. This. I mean, we had like two days. I don't even think we had two days. I think we had like a day notice. It's like, we want you to check out the service. We'll give you whatever it was, five hundred bucks in petty cash. And um, and I was working with this videographer guy who was a friend of a friend. Um, and uh, and yeah, we're like, all right, let's just see what we can come up with. And it ended up he and I ended up creating a lot of those videos together. We just worked really well and um bounced off ideas off each other in a really fun way. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Nice. Oh, no, it's all good. So did that just sort of naturally happen then? Did you have to convince anyone that, hey, I can host this? Because before that, you were you would do tech reviews and things, but you weren't really hosting a show. You were showing products. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So I, um, yeah, it's, it's, so that is kind of funny. because So when I was at Gizmodo, for whatever reason, I, I never understood this. The aesthetic was they didn't really want us on camera at the time, really anybody. Um, it was like, it was very, um, they really shied away from uh, personality driven stuff, which I think was kind of a shame because like the personalities is why people was reading Gizmodo in the first place, but whatever it was, I think it was overall uh, company top down aesthetic. I like none of the Gawker video sites had any of that kind of stuff. Now they're, they've been trying to catch up um, for a long time now, but um, anyway, so yeah, I did not do any of the hosting stuff because it was actively discouraged for a long time. And um, the way the wired series came about was I was out to dinner with some friends and, you know, um, some friends of friends were there too. And I was talking to this guy named Peter Furia who uh, was sitting next to me or across this from me or something like that. And I was like, Oh, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, I make videos for wired. And I was like, Oh, it's funny. I write for wired sometimes. And he's like, Oh really? Well, yeah, we're, we're looking for new hosts all the time. And I was like, well, I have a MFA in acting and a lot of improv experience. And he's like, what? Oh, let's have coffee tomorrow. And, uh, and I, he's, he basically like the way he phrased it, it made it sound like he had an idea for a show that he wanted me to host. And I was like, okay, great. And so then I showed up at this coffee meeting and he's like, so what would you want your show to be? And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh shit. I had not thought that through at all. Um, and so um, we kind of sat there and, and just batted some ideas around and we were like, all right, maybe we'll do a pilot episode on some wearables or something like that. And then um, a couple of days later is when they, somebody reached out and they said, hey, there's this new magic service we want somebody to test it. How about we do this one first? And that was just it. We were just kind of off to the races. And that was such a fun video to make. Um, and ever since then, that's kind of 
we, we still sort of look at that as a template when we're going back to making these things because um, uh, it, it captured a lot of the things that we really like. And not all of our videos have been successful, I think, creatively. Um, mm -hmm. Even the ones that have gotten a lot of views, I think um, some of them are just kind of like, eh, they're okay. Um, and others, I think, stand out when you capture that that curiosity and the, the fun and the play. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really what it is, is we're seeing everything through through your lens of like what you're experiencing. But then that was the only reason I was thinking Gonzo, but I don't know, mm -hmm. again, like sort of where, like how does that, how does Gonzo actually play into journalism and how do people view it just from my understanding? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not super up on the, the semantics okay. of Gonzo, but um, I, I mean, I do... I do think that a lot of what I do could be classified as gonzo, certainly with the whole, um, this whole endless road trip thing that I've been on for forever. You know, a lot of it has just been throwing myself into the situation and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like embedding yourself in the middle of whatever it is that's going on that you're going to write about and then uh, reporting it from the inside. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the most objective form of journalism. Um, in, in many ways, to me, it feels much more personal. Um, and I think, I think that has its place just as much as, uh, you know, get, looking in from the outside is, is also really important. And that objective thing is obviously super important. But, um, you know, this, this would probably file, fall more into the whole um, investigative and opinion col column or editorial than, um, than strictly um, objective. Mm -hmm. but uh but i like it oh yeah yeah and i i just love everything that you do because it is it's so entertaining it's i think you're actually i don't even know that i've come across other hosts of like regular series like this because it tends to be maybe mm -hmm. um uh celebrities coming in reading like autocompletes and stuff like i don't know if it's just like self-selected yeah. for what i do or for what i look at but yeah i haven't come across many other people doing what you do yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in in some ways, uh, it was sort of a, a new template for certainly for for Wired Video at the time, um, and it kind of took took the video channel there in many ways in a more um, I don't know if human centric is quite the right thing. I, I think they the phrase they've used is personality driven. Mm -hmm. um, shows um and so we saw like a couple more of those come out as well um robbie gonzalez did this great uh series called um called almost impossible for wired that um that i thought captured it really really well and then um and then yeah more recently it's kind of gone back to more of those sort of autocomplete things and and stuff like that which are you know it's a it's a easy formula to do and i'm and i'm not knocking it i'm sure it uh, you know yeah. Does a good, it does a good job and they're entertaining, especially when you get like entertaining people on it. Um, but um, my, my hope and in my conversations with Wired is that they're, they seem to be eager to get back to some more uh, personality driven stuff too. Um, so we shall see um, how, how that all plays out. We've, we've talked about potentially uh, doing some more projects in, in the new year, but of course uh, we're all waiting to see what happens with uh, COVID-19 and, and stuff like that. So yeah, for TBD. sure. Yeah, and so you've done both freelance and I mean it was it was briefly with Gizmodo, but actual staff writer. Mm -hmm. What are some of the pros and cons yeah. of the two different paths? 
Yeah. So uh, pros for being a staff writer would be, um, yeah, well, health insurance is a big pro and those sorts of benefits. I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at certainly. Um, and it's crazy that we live in a country where you are dependent on your work for health insurance or you have to pay out of pocket for your own health insurance, which is what I've been doing for a long time, but a little soapbox aside. Um, so that's a thing. Um, I also think in some ways, depending on who you're working for and depending who your editor is, there can be more freedom to kind of go deep down the rabbit hole and do a longer investigative piece because you've got, you know, your income is coming in anyway. So even, even if you're not, you know, putting something out every day, then, um, you know, if you're on salary, then they, and they've uh, approved some longer, longer duration story, then, um, then that can be a real benefit for you. Um, the cons would be, uh, you know, less freedom. Certainly um, you're, well, I don't know right now, nobody's in an office, but at, at the time, like you used to have to go into the office pretty much, uh, pretty, pretty regularly. Um, and um, I don't know, I, I think it's a little bit easier to get, uh, you find a role and you get pigeonholed a little bit. Um, which can certainly happen during freelance as well. Like I, I've, I'm always trying to get out of my own little pigeonholes, which is a weird phrase now that you <laughs> think about it. But, um, but uh, yeah. And then, you know, um, you know, freelance, like there, there is so much freedom to like go and work for work from wherever and work for whomever. Um, but the cons of course are that, you know, um, some outlets are slow to pay and they've been, um, they've gotten better about that in general. But I mean, when I first started out, you know, you're waiting for paper checks a lot of the time. I mean, some, some outlets actually still pay in paper checks through the mail, which is just insane to me. Um, and being in a uh, van, some of them are extra really difficult. Correct. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah. I've set up like post office boxes and stuff like that, but it's, it's hard for, for, especially when you don't know when it's coming and you don't know yeah. where you're going to be. So I'll typically send it to somewhere, you know, to a family member in California or something like that. And they'll just hold on to them for me. And then it's like, all right, well, hopefully I can find, get there sometime soon and cash those checks. Um, so there's that, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot more pitching involved. So um, you have to, I mean, and I, and I honestly think the, the art of the pitch is one of those things that um, is one of the most important skills for a freelancer to have. And I think it's, it's one of the ones that um, that a lot of them are lacking. Um, and I think it's what separates a lot from, from those who are working from those who aren't. Um, and um, yeah, writing, writing a good pitch. It's, it takes time and you don't get paid to pitch, you know, you, it's, you know, sometimes it's almost as long as the story itself, if not longer, I've written pitches that were easily longer than the story themselves wow. and whether they don't get bought, if they, if they don't get bought, then that's just, you know, a bunch of work that you did for nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, what, phase, um, what phase in the process is that? Is that um, you have a concept for a story? Is it you've already right. sort of experienced it? Where does that fit in where, when you start pitching? So it depends on what it is. Like say it's, um, yeah, say there's some event that I've heard about that sounds cool. Like there's uh, one example is like a, uh, 
there was going to be this big, this first pro surf contest at Kelly Slater's uh, mechanical wave pool. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's, that's going to be a rad story. I, I want to get there. I had an invite um, because somebody found me through, I don't know what. And they're like, yeah, so here's this thing. If you can find an outlet, we'd love you to come check it out and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well now I have to find an outlet. And so that for that one, I ended up doing for Deadspin before Deadspin was its new zombie form. Now, now it would be the, the, all the guys moved over to Defector, which is a good name. And those are all great writers there. But, um, but yeah, so it's, then I would, you know, so you're like, okay, well, there's a, there's a tech angle here. So maybe I can sell it to Wired. So then you start like writing out this whole pitch with all of like the tech, the techie things that happen. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we've already got somebody working on that. And you're like, okay, well, there's a sports angle. So then maybe I'll try, uh, maybe I'll try Outside Magazine. So then you write them and like, yeah, this is the thing. They're like, yeah, it's cool. But like, you know, these mechanical things aren't really for us, you know? And like, okay, again, it's not nature enough. So then I went to Deadspin. It's like, hey, listen, this is, the concept is more like how is a mechanical wave going to change pro surf contests where the whole thing behind pro surf contests is the wave is different every single time, right? The, the, the ocean is never the same. It's like, you know, snowflakes or fingerprints. So then uh, how, how does that work when suddenly the wave is the exact same every time? And they're like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, you can write that for us. And then you go back and forth on, you know, how much and how long the article is going to be and all that stuff. And then slowly make that happen. So that's that's kind of the, the pitching process. And there have been stories that I thought were absolutely great, but would have to be long stories just because of the nature of the thing we're diving into. And people were like, yeah, it's cool, but we just we just don't have the budget right now, or it's just not quite right for us. And some of those stories have just like are just sitting, sitting out there gathering dust, if only in my brain. Some of them have been written and are gathering dust, hmm. but um, but that's how it goes. Yeah. Is yeah. it at all? So, so there's that sort of. Is it at all feasible for you to be independently publishing these? And like, because obviously, I mean, you have maybe say YouTube revenues from ads and things that are can be minimal depending on the numbers. Is there any other channel for a journalist to to go more independent on stories that maybe you love, but you just don't have the the outlet for it? Um. That's a really good question, and I, I don't totally know the answer for it. Wow, this lighting is getting more and more dramatic as we go. It's <laughs> yeah, a little ridiculous looking. A little contrasting, but. Sorry about that. Uh, it's all good. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, sorry, what were we just talking about? Oh, distracted um, by my noir. <laughs> yeah, if if there's if there are other outlets where you were, would oh, be able to go yes. independently, right? Yeah, so th that that's a tricky one, and I I've thought about that before, and I have sometimes just written stories for my own blog and stuff like that, which is satisfying, and I like putting those stories out there. But um, you know, I haven't spent that much time marketing my own blog, and I don't have any kind of advertising on my blogs or anything like that, so that would generate zero revenue, and. Um, you know, the freedom is really nice, but at the same time, it's it's hard to sit down and write so much and do so much work for for free, unless it's for a really good cause, which is a, a separate thing. But um, yeah, so that that's tricky. And the same with um, videos and stuff like that. I, you know, I sometimes will just put stuff on my own YouTube channel, but, um, and I've thought about, you know, maybe I should just create my own show for my YouTube channel, but I feel like I was starting from, you know, not not totally starting from scratch, but 
kind of sort of starting from scratch in terms of uh, viewership compared to like what a, a network like Wired's YouTube channel is now working with. Mm-hmm. And there's also a bit of like, oh man, like, you know, Wired didn't have that many viewers when I started making videos for them too. So part of me is like, oh man, I, I kind of, you know, who knows what could have happened if I'd made those videos on my own channel and then like blown my stuff, my own stuff up, then, you know, maybe it'd be a different story. Um, but that's, you know, that's one of those what if kind of things, you know, you never know. So you could either, you know, you could be making a ton of videos and make no money off of them ever, or maybe it'll be a slow burn and eventually you start seeing a profit. But, um, yeah, it, it's so much more hustling and marketing then that is just not part of the process that really interests me. It's part of the business end of it and it's important. Um, and I don't like it. Oh, personally. Yeah. Not that it's bad. I just don't find it fulfilling. So I would rather not do it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So for me, it's, it's kind of worth it for somebody else to pay me to make the videos and they just, you know, they get all the profits and revenue from it. Um, but um but yeah, it's it's a double edged sword for sure. All right, I'm gonna yeah. try rotating here because this is distracting me. It's all good. Okay, new scene. <laughs> okay. Sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and I like how you took the I mean, you didn't make the videos for yourself, but you saw the opportunity to actually build a personal brand. I know it's not the focus in things, but I really like in in somewhat pivoting over to van life, I feel like you were able to um, create this platform where, I mean, you have you have good engagement, like on social media, on the different things that you do, like people are following following your story. And I think that's I think that's a really great um, approach that a lot of people might miss out on. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's weird. I have such a love hate relationship with that kind of stuff. Um, with, with social media in general. Um, I recognize it's important in a lot of ways and I recognize, um, that it's, it's benefited me in a lot of ways, but, um, and sometimes, you know, it's also such a time suck and, um, Mm. you know, both from just like the reading and the consuming and the endless, you know, thumb scrolling and, um, and also from, you know, thinking about how to put things out and how to talk about it. What do I write about this photo that I took? And, you know, um, I don't know, in, in many ways, it feels like a distraction. And I've been less involved in social media recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, it, but it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't cracked that code. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you're not necessarily leveraging it for anything in particular. Like you're building your community right. and people recognize you more, which might help with potentially right. with pitching, but more than likely, I mean, they see your body of work, which is immense and yeah. it's through these other channels. Yeah. And, and that is a thing, you know, when I'm, um, you know, I've pitched uh, several TV shows over the last years, uh, last couple of years and stuff like that. And that's one of the things they look at when they're like, all right, well, who's this guy who would be hosting it or who's producing it or whatever. And they, they want to look at your social media and see how many followers you have and see what your engagement's like and stuff like that. And so and it's become a real important tool for, for selling stuff. Um, you know, much, much to my chagrin in, in some ways, but, um, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, things should stand on their own merit or not. Um, but, uh, but I understand that, you know, everybody's looking at the bottom line too. 
Yeah. So to jump forward to van life just a little bit, how was that? What mm-hmm. was the transition for you as a journalist living in a van on the road? What types of uh, things did you have to deal with? Like you, you already you mentioned like Wi-Fi connections and things like that. But what other were there mm-hmm. any other things that came up from a career and a business perspective? Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there were a few uh, modifications. So so one of the big things was um, uh, it was just hard to stay focused on like sitting down and writing, especially if it was a story I wasn't that excited about. Like if I'm just reviewing a, like a phone or a watch or something like that, when I know right outside my door is like some whole adventure that I could be having. Um, and especially when, it, when the van thing was new and, um, and so exciting, like all I wanted to do was go out and explore. Um, which definitely led to me simply not picking up as much work as I should have. And I wasn't pitching as much and I wasn't hustling as much. And then I was like, Oh shit, I had to overcorrect and like have to, you know, it was, it took me years to find the balance, honestly, between um, not doing enough work and doing too much work. Um, So, so that was one big adjustment. Um, It also, I would say it did open up more opportunities for me in a lot of ways because um, van life hashtag van life was um, becoming this much more popular movement. Um, and it steadily has become more and more popular over the last five years. And just the last year alone, it's like exploded because so many people are, you know, like it's vans are just about the only safe way to travel right now or RVs or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So in that way, it opened up a lot of doors because I was, uh, A, I could write about van life and the, the things I do and the places you go and tips and tricks and all that stuff. So that opened up some stuff. And then um, just being able to go to places and see things that I might not otherwise be able to go to or see, then I could sell stories based on those as well. So that was uh, those were uh, the positive side for sure. Yeah, and having that adventure, being out doing something all the time, I think probably really plays into um, just to the inspiration, to the the opportunity for stories and like seeing what's out there. One of the things that you talked about was being in yes shape, which I really liked. I love the thought of that. <laughs> um, what does yeah. yes shape mean and how do you maintain that on, in a van? Yeah, so I, I, I do hope to eventually do a video or an article about this, but um but yeah, the, the, the basic, I mean, yes, shape is essentially like if somebody is like, Hey, let's go climb this mountain tomorrow. You can be like, okay. Cause you're in shape enough to do it. Or somebody's like, Hey, you want to go surfing? You're like, yeah, sure. Let's go. Or let's go snowboarding or whatever. It's not like, I'll be like gassed after half an hour. And then you have to like, just go sit at the bar. Um, not that there's anything wrong with sitting at the bar. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's kind of the thing. And it's also, um, just personally for me, like I've had a lot of uh, injuries over the last I mean, many years, but especially the last few years, I dislocated my right elbow and my left shoulder um, in two totally different instances and uh, strained my MCL and one of my knees and like all kinds of stuff. So um, staying in shape is kind of the only way that I my body stays together at this point <laughs> because I managed to avoid having surgery, but it was through doing a ton of physical therapy and just trying to keep the right things strong. So that's um, a big part of it as well as just, just uh, maintaining uh, functionality 
Um, and then as far as like what I would do for it, um, I had to, after, you know, the first chunk of time in the van, I was, uh, I realized I was like getting kind of soft and, and gaining some weight and stuff like that because I was, I'm a big food person. And I, um, I mean, I, my, my mom was an anthropologist and I, I think that uh, food is such a huge, important part of culture. So when I'm driving around and exploring all these places I've never been, like I want to eat my way through these different towns and cultures and stuff like that. So especially when I was getting going through the South, like from Santa Fe, which is like the Southwestern food and then into Texas and then like further into the South, like New Orleans, which is just one of the all time amazing, incredible food towns. Um, I was suddenly like, Oh, I'm eating like all this heavy, heavy stuff all the time because I want to taste everything, but this is not sustainable, sustainable. So I had to, I basically created what I called the a rest stop workout, which was like just these short little workouts I could do in the grass anywhere, like at a little park or a rest stop or something like that. And that would be enough to at least, you know, maintain strength. And then I would start, all right, if I'm going to go hard at lunch, then I'm going to, you know, go a little bit lighter at breakfast or at dinner or vice versa. Um, and try to, you know, run and stuff like that when I could, but, um, or surf, if I can surf, then that's my workout. And I'm so happy about it. And snowboarding is kind of like that too. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's basically just doing anything you can to stay active and keep, keep things moving and to stay strong, especially in the van, you're often parked at weird angles and stuff like that. And you don't realize, but if your van is off, oh, then yeah. you're kind of like, you have to kind of correct with your lower back so that when you're typing, and yeah, anyway, so uh, just maintaining core muscles is like a big part of avoiding pain for me. Yeah, makes sense. I just, I love the approach. Just yes, shape is the perfect encapsulation of it. Um, so if you were to start over today, you know everything you know, the experience is all valid, but you don't have, say, your network, you don't have the body of work yet. What might mm -hmm. be your first steps to um, sort of getting back to like where you are now? So, I mean, I guess, which, which career are we talking about here? Like from oh. journalism? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, or, just, I guess in anything, whatever you would be pursuing most, if it's, if it's the journalism, if it's hosting, if it's maybe something completely different, what would be your, your first steps? Yeah, um, that is a really good question. I guess, hmm, yeah, for those starting out, um, I think finding a way to create a body of work and just to um, to start writing and find find your voice is such an important thing because you you see a lot of copy out there that just reads like it was written by an AI or something like that. It's like you know it's got a lot of facts there, but it doesn't have um, that certain it doesn't have a unique flavor to it. Um, and other writers are are great about this. So I think I think writing enough, even if it's just for your own blog or whatever. So you kind of establish what what lights your fires and what gets you interested enough to um, to spark that creativity um, is incredibly important um, because you know there if there are a million things that you could write about um, but if you're not finding the thing that that really interests you then it's going to be kind of bland um, even if it's maybe financially a doable thing. Um, so that would be a huge thing. And I think from there, you know, uh, there are a lot of small publishers who are looking for freelance writers and looking for stories. And I think it's, you know, 
if you're looking to break into someplace, um, really read the hell out of the outlet you're you're wanting to pitch. I think that's like a huge mistake a lot of people make is they they pitch outlets stories that have nothing to do with with <laughs> that have nothing to do with um with what these outlets cover or just like the completely wrong style or the wrong take for them. So I think that's incredibly important is doing your research and really knowing knowing the voice of the outlet as well. So, I mean, I, while you always have your own voice in some ways, I, my style is radically different if I'm writing from the verge or writing for wired or writing for Gizmodo. And those are all three, you know, tech, big tech outlets, but each one of them has a very unique voice and a very unique focus and style. And I think it's important that you, if you want to keep working with those, if you want to a get in the door with them and then want to keep working with them, it's really important to, um, to understand how your voice fits in with their style. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's probably a difficult balance too, because you need to establish your voice, but to fit within 100%. the confines, because I mean, that's, that's why you stand out because of your voice and who you are and yeah, really why I wanted to talk to you. So yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, and there have been places that were a bad fit, you know, mm -hmm. where I, I wrote a piece or two and it was just very clear. It's like, this is, this is not the right, this is not the right. Uh, we just weren't in alignment and I could, I could either like churn out some like kind of monotone copy for them if that's what they wanted or whatever it was, or maybe I wasn't edgy enough for them. Um, but it, it felt like, it, there was something that felt uh, icky about it. And it's like, you know, it's not worth the money. There are other outlets out there. I'd rather, I'd rather find one that, uh, that likes the way I write and that I, where, where I enjoy their style too. And it's, um, I just think it's a much better way to build a relationship. So like, that's why Gizmodo was kind of the first place I landed was because like, I thought these guys were hilarious. I thought they were really smart and really funny and they had that kind of attitude that I thought was missing. And that was like, it's like, Oh yeah, I want to be a part of that. That, that actually <laughs> looks really fun. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like I'd love to see more of, of what you're doing, like this, the style, the humor, the everything you inject in there. I mean, even just how you start them out with, um, something like I'm Brent Rose, tech journalist and mammal or whatever you throw in. It's just all those little things just make it really engaging, hook you in. You're, uh, I feel like you've merged the like entertainer, YouTube creator, all of this with proper journalism in a way that isn't, isn't done all that much. And yeah, I really, really appreciate it. So thank um, you. I appreciate that. That, uh, yeah, I mean, that is, that's my goal. So um, I appreciate that comes through and that uh yeah thanks yeah, thanks for that does. yeah there, there aren't and some of it is you know you know finding your niche like i i knew that there are not a lot of journalists out there who like have done you know uh work for some you know serious outlets but who have also gone through improv training and have gone <laughs> like gone through like three years of an mfa program for acting mm -hmm. so it's like all right well here are these like here's the the venn diagram right they're like they're uh -huh. gazillion actors and they're gazillion journalists but then you like cross this little tiny sliver and you're like oh okay there's my niche so i think that's a really important thing in, in finding your skills and that could be anything like if you're a big kayaker or something like that and and a journalist or whatever you're like okay well there are a lot of kayakers and there are a lot of journalists but who can write really engagingly about kayaking or whatever so you know that can apply to anything yeah absolutely 
Well, thanks again for doing this. Where should we uh, send people to check out your work and what you're up to? Yeah, um, brentrose.com is the website that I have that I rarely update, but it does <laughs> exist and any major changes will probably go there. Um, my Instagram is brentdangerrose, which um, I kind of picked on a whim just because Brent Rose was already taken. Uh, <laughs> and my Twitter is uh, just at Brent Rose because I, I, I got him there. I was first <laughs> on that one. The other Brent Rose. I think he's like a saxophone player in Louisiana or something like that. I've never ah. met the guy, but it's a, we're always battling each other for who gets the, it's just the straight up at Brent Rose type things. Nice. Well, yeah. So thanks again for doing this and appreciate you taking your time and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. I want to thank Brent for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out everything he's up to at brentrose.com and follow him on all the socials. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's B-Y-L-T C-O to get started. Built, your website, built for you, simply. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the video version on YouTube. And that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I will see you next time.